0: Well, join me now in 1 John chapter four, 1 John four, and we're continuing our God is great series. And today we come to that glorious attribute of the love of God. We look around us in the world, especially in these days, and we see a lot of fear, a lot of anger, division. We see the ugliness of racism, injustice, and hatred in all directions and we see the need for peace, and we see the need for love, and we know it's a need for God himself. We need love in our society, and we need love individually, don't we? I mean, we know this. If a person goes to their life and they feel like nobody loves me, if a person genuinely believes that and feels that nobody loves me, we know there's a deep, deep wound there. And we know on the converse that if a person experiences true love from a friend or from a sibling or from a parent, oh, that's, that's so life-giving and that's so healing. And so in this harsh world, where do we turn for love? Well, we turn to our awesome creator and our savior who loved us with the most supreme of all loves. And so let's hear the word of God together as God reveals his nature, his na- nature of love here. In 1 John four, picking up in verse seven, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God for God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. The first thing I want us to look at here is that glorious statement, God is love. It's a wonderful declaration of the nature of God. He repeats it twice in this passage. Actually, verse eight, God is love. If you look down a little further, verse 16, he says it again, God is love. It's an amazing truth. But what does that statement actually mean? It means more than God is nice. It means even more than God is loving. It means this, that at the core of who God is, is love. One scholar said it this way, love is bound up in the very nature of God. Another scholar said it this way, love pervades and influences all the attributes of God. Now listen to Jesus, because he's gonna tell us in John chapter 17 that that how this love has, has existed long before you and I existed. God is love. Here's what Jesus said in his prayer to the Father in John 17, verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me Be with me where I am so that they may see my glory, which you've given me. Now listen to this. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. So God is love. He's always been loving. And and here's this reminder that God is a triune God. So before you and I existed, before there was an earth, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit existed. One God eternally existing in three persons. And there has been love expressed Within the Trinity, for all eternity past and will always be this way. God is love. God has always expressed love before you and I ever came along. And he's always experienced love. Sometimes you'll hear people think, well, well, why did God make us? Maybe God was lonely. Maybe God needed somebody to love him back. That's not the picture of scripture, God is love. There's always been love being expressed within the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So why did he make us? Well, to be glorified in us, but certainly to invite us into his love. He's already been enjoying perfect love. And he's inviting us into that perfect love as we put our faith in his son, Jesus. So, so love is fundamental to God's nature, so much so that the Holy Spirit inspired John to write it twice, God is love. So what is this statement not mean? That should help us here as well. What does this not mean? Well, it doesn't mean that love is God's only attribute. I'm sure we've all met people like that who, who just want to think of God as, as one-dimensional. He's only this. It's like they see this verse or hear somebody say, God is love. Oh, I like that. Let's lift that out of the Bible. Let's forget the rest of the scriptures. God is love. And they'll act like that's the only thing about him. But listen, in this very book of the Bible that we're in, First John, we see this in first John 1 5 it says God is light and in him there's no darkness at all that's another statement of the holiness of God that we considered last week you remember last week we we're in Isaiah 6 and we saw that great stunning encounter that Isaiah had where the seraphim were saying holy 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 and so yes God is holy John affirms that God's holy he's light in him there's no darkness at all but then we come to chapter 4 and yes this beautiful attribute of God God is love so let's be careful not to fixate on just one attribute even though this is a great attribute it's not the totality god also is holy he's also loving in fact understanding the holiness of god will help you understand how god expresses his love on the earth not only does this not mean that this is god's only attribute but also that this is, this does not mean that god is somehow an impersonal force so i'm to turn this statement around that god is love then therefore love must be god So I'm just gonna worship love. I'm just gonna follow this, this mystical feeling of love and God's just the idea of love. And that's not true at all. God is very personal. He is a personal being. God thinks, we know this from the scripture, he acts, God rules, he protects, he corrects, he guides, he blesses. God communicates and he judges and he saves and he condemns and thankfully, in all these things, he maintains his love. His nature is love and all that he does emanates from that heart of love, though sometimes it might be hard for us to understand that. God doesn't stop loving when he corrects us. Doesn't the scriptures tell us that like a loving father, he disciplines those that he loves. He doesn't stop loving when he judges, he does not stop loving when he pours out his wrath on evil. God is consistent and constant in love, so he's always holy and he's always love and all of his other attributes, he holds together simultaneously, perfectly and eternally. So God is love and you and I never have to wonder, well did he he ever stop loving me? We don't have to play that old flower petal game, he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me and I hope to come to the end and that he still loves me. No, God is constant in his love for us. No, understand what we're describing here is a description of God alone, the God of the Bible. A couple weeks ago, we reminded ourselves God has a name, the name Yahweh. We're describing Yahweh's perfect attributes. Do you know all the other face of the earth cannot describe God this way? This is so natural to us. Well, of course, God is love, God is loving. We just know that. And we might even think, well, everybody, even their version of a God, they think he's loving too. It's not so. Travel among the other cultures and, and talk to your Muslim friends and talk to your Hindu friends and talk to the others, and. Talk to your Buddhist friends and their concept of God is not that, oh, he is, he is love. A number of years ago now in New Delhi, I was talking to a man, a dear friend of mine, and he was a Hindu, and I asked him, I said, listen, with all the gods of Hinduism, how do you decide who you're going to worship? He said to me, he said, well, I worship a different God every day and two on Tuesday. He said, then on Saturday, I prayed a Sunny," and I said, I've never heard a Sunny. who's Sunny?" He said, well, Sonny brings trouble into everyone's life at some time. He'll bring you three years of trouble, three months of trouble, three weeks of trouble, or three days of trouble. He said, so every Saturday I pray to Sonny, Sonny, stay away from me, stay away from me. But if you must come, please only bring me three days of trouble. Everything about that concept of God is tragic, isn't it? That's not the God we know. That's that's looking at a God like, I just want to appease you. I'm I'm only dealing with you out of fear. Never would this man have said to me, God is love. It's not his concept. Listen, this is unique to the God who is. God is a personal being. He is love. He always acts in harmony with his love. And this descriptions throughout the Bible, even in the old covenant, Exodus 34, six, God is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Listen, so right here, let's pause. Let's praise our God. Aren't you glad you know the God, who is, the God who is love? He wants you to know that that's what he is like. His nature is love beyond our comprehension. He loves at all times. All that he does comes from a heart of love. So God is love. Let's take it one more step. Second thing, let's see this. God loves love us. God is love, but this is not just some abstract theological point. He loves us. Let's go back into our text. Let's see this, that God is the source of love. Verse seven again, beloved, let us love one another. Here it is for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And the one who does not love does not know God for God is love. So love did not come about from some natural process. You and I have not evolved to higher beings from the animals, and now we love. This is not something that, that we evolved into, human beings, did not invent love. What's the scripture say? Love is from God. God is full of love himself, eternally has been expressing and experiencing love. He now is offering that to us. So let's see this. We're just talking about God loving us. He's the source of love. Check this out. He initiates love toward his creation. Look at verse 9 with me now. By this, the love of God was manifested in us. I want you to hear these personal pronouns here. These are so meaningful. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, catch this, for our sins beloved if God so loved us we ought to love one another no one has seen God at any time if we love one another God abides in us and his love is perfected in us and so God has manifested his love toward us in the greatest of possible ways in sending his son for us how great is the love of God that he sent his son for us listen it's it's, the scripture is clear verse 10 he says in this is love not that we loved God. Do you know that about yourself? We did not make the first move toward God. It wasn't like God looked at the earth and says, those people love me. And because they love me and they're so nice, I'm going to send my son for them. It's the exact opposite. We did not love God. God made the first move. Who loves like this? God initiates love toward people who did not love him people who had actually spurned him. This is love of God. So we know this verse, if you've been a Christian for a while, but Romans 5, 8, hear this with fresh ears this morning. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We're just talking about God loves us and that God has initiated his love for us. How great is the father's love for us? Think about it. That, that God the Son would leave the perfections of his heaven and come to a wicked, broken earth like ours on a, a mission of love, a rescue mission for us. This is the love of God. And then notice this word here. He says he came to be the propitiation for our sins. So we gotta ask the question that's not a word we use a lot. What does that mean? That means that Jesus came on a mission to sinners to be the substitutionary, atoning sacrifice for their sins. So God is holy and he's loving. God had to satisfy satisfy his holiness and his justice. Sin had to be atoned for. And so in the mind of God, father, son, spirit, the plan was this, before the foundation of the world, that God the son would come and he would receive the wrath of God the father so that you and I who believe in him would not be condemned, but we'd be forgiven, we'd be reconciled to God. This is the love of God, that this would be his plan to redeem us. There would be no other way and so, because God is like this, there's no love like this. Now, with, with fresh ears, let's hear John three sixteen. Hear these words again. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. D.A. Carson remarked about that this way. He said, in John three sixteen, God's love in sending the Lord Jesus is to be admired, not because it is extended to so big a thing as the world, but to so bad a thing. Not to so many people, but to such wicked people. So that statement, God so loved the world, God so loved this this wicked world. And people like us, wicked in this world. So, So note this, God loved you before you ever loved him. God loved you while you were a sinner, still rejecting him. God initiated your salvation before you were ever interested in him, So we're just admiring God. We're exalting in God. that God is love. It's his nature. He'll never stop being love. And he acted on that love and he loves you. But then the third thing, and it really is the context of this passage, this point, we're commanded to share that love with everybody else in our lives. This isn't merely for us to celebrate and enjoy. It is that, but being transformed by this amazing, unique, one of a kind love of God. This shapes now how we relate to every other human being in our lives. Notice verse 7 again. Beloved, let us love one another. This truth, this relationship with God to experience his love transforms every other relationship. It should, as we we cooperate with the Spirit and His sanctifying us, this should show up in our lives. Look now, now, let's skip down to verse 19. See this with me. We love because he first loved us. Now, it doesn't get any stronger than this in all the Bible, verse 20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. When you experience the transforming, perfect love of God, his grace then it does shape your love relationship with others. God can rightly make the command of you and me that we must love others. Now, does that strike you as odd that God can command you to love? Isn't that countercultural to how we grew up? So we grow up thinking, well, if I like you, I will love you. If I don't care for you, I will reserve love for somebody else. All the songs on the radio tell us that love is a feeling, and I couldn't help it. I I just fell in love with you. And you know what? That feeling just left. And what am I to do? I'm just gonna have to move on. And yet God says, no, you you must love. You've experienced my gracious, forgiving love. I'm now commanding you as my children that you love other people. It's not just a magical force that comes upon us and leaves. We take it up. And we love others. Think about what the scriptures tell us. We're commanded as the the greatest commandment, what? To love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God commands that of us, and he's right to command it. God should never be humble and say, you know, I I shouldn't ask such a thing. That makes me sound so prideful. No, love something else. That would not be loving if God were to send us in another direction. Just love sports more than me. Sports are fun. God would never say that because he loves you. He knows you. nothing will satisfy you like his love love. And so he commands you because he loves you. You should love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we would agree to love anything more than God. Anything less than an all-out love is not worthy of a love that we've experienced in God. Then he says this, we're commanded to love our neighbors as ourselves. Those aren't suggestions to experience the love of God. If you're one of his children, this is commanded of us. Husbands, do you remember we're commanded in the book of Ephesians to love our wives always. We're to love them. How about this one? We're commanded in the scriptures by Jesus to love our enemies. We say, ah, I don't know about that. But isn't that what God did for us? We were his enemies and God's great love came for us. And how can we resist God at that? It doesn't feel natural, but by the spirit of God, we can do this God-like love to love even our enemies. And then over and over again in the scriptures, we're told as believers to love one another. 16 times in the New Testament, we're told to love one another. That doesn't even count the times where we're told to have a love for the brotherhood or to have love for the saints. But just that phrase, love one another, 16 times in the New Testament. Let me just give you a quick short sampling of some of those. Listen to this. John 13:34. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I've loved you, that you also love one another. John 13:35. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another one another. John fifteen twelve. this is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Do you hear the standard of love? Jesus said, love like I've loved you to the people around you. First Thessalonians three twelve. and may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and catch this. And for all people, just as we also do for you. First Thessalonians 4, 9, now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And then this one, 1 Peter one twenty two, since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Since love is from God, and you and I have been born again in this relationship with God by his mercy and grace, this shapes how we love others, and we must do it. This should be a dominant characteristic of our lives now in Christ. It's a dominant characteristic quality of God, and we're his children now through faith in Christ, this should be dominant in our lives. We can say it this way, this is a family trait for those who are in the family of God. You ever seen one of those families where you go, man, they look alike. Every kid looks like they came from the same mold. Ever, ever seen a family like that? So the first time I really noticed this was years ago, serving in a church as a youth minister in Tennessee, and there was a family, the stooksberry family. I love the name, never forgotten the stooksberries and they had these cute kids and, uh, and they had a just remarkable look. And I used to say, I could spot a Stooksbury anywhere. I mean, just, just these adorable kids, something about their eyes, something about their hair, cute as they could be. And of course, they're all probably in their 30s now. So if they ever see this somehow online, like, well, thanks for that, Jim. You know, at least I said, they're cute. But they looked, they looked so much like, and then of course, then we had our daughters. And I think, you know, I think we're one of those families. At least when all my daughters went through the twos and, and then four, something about that, even now when we look back at pictures in the photo albums, like there's a moment like, which, which kid is that? Because there's something like, that looks like a booth girl, you know, at least at age two and, and age four. In fact, I had a Korean man in my office some years ago, and uh, he looked at the pictures there, and it, with his limited English, he looked at my daughters and said, same face, <laughs> same face. Listen, we're the children of God. We should have the same love. Same love. This is a family trait. This is what the scripture has been talking about. Reread 1 John 4 today. In fact, reread all of 1 John this week. It'd be a great thing to do just to look at God and all of his greatness and and what's now required of us as his children. It's a a family trait. In fact, he he refers to it here really as a, this is our spiritual paternity test. How do I know if I'm really a child of God? He tells you, you better see love in your life, a very different love than you had before Christ, because this is one of the marks that you're really his. One of the sad things on television, one of the many sad things on television are those afternoon programs, or I don't know when they're on, morning or afternoon, where they have those. The whole The whole thing is people made millions on paternity tests. It's that sad case where there's a lady there and, she thinks this guy's the father of her children. And that guy's saying, I'm not the father of children. It could be this other guy. It just shows you again, the, the, the brokenness of immorality. And I feel so sorry for those women and for the children involved there because who wants this child? And, and then there's that moment at the end where they open up the envelope and the DNA will reveal, is this the child of this man or maybe this other man? Again, tragic there. But let's take a paternity test this morning to know whether or not you are a child of God. And we're gonna follow John's lead here as the spirit inspires him. But first of all this, have you made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ? What does that mean? Have you ever turned from your sins? Have you ever acknowledged, this is your first move, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. And I don't deserve heaven. I don't deserve a relationship. I've been his enemy. You need to be willing to embrace that, humble yourself and admit you're a sinner. And then this, I recognize that Jesus is the one who can save me. He lived a perfect life. I never did. He died on a cross as the propitiation for my sins, as the atoning sacrifice for my sins. He was raised from the dead, and I've now transferred all my trust into Jesus, the Savior. I'm responding to his love by asking Jesus to forgive me, save me, take over my life. Have you done that? This is your paternity test. But then this, John says, look for the evidence of the Spirit of God in your life. Remember the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5, first out of the gate. The fruit of the spirit is love. He goes on, joy, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. So we should be able to look in our lives, present tense. I see not perfectly, I'm not God, but the spirit of God's in me. And as I yield to him through these years, he's growing in me, he's putting a love in me that I didn't have before. Again, hear the word of God. We're we're not pressing more on the scriptures than it tells us. First John four, seven and eight. In the middle of verse seven, everyone who loves, catch it, is born of God, And knows God and the one who does not love catch it does not know God for God is love verse 15 whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God God abides in him and he in God and we we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us God is love and the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him now listen to this this is where your confidence comes from by this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence In the day of judgment, because he is in us, so also we are in the world. So part of your confidence, as you know, a day of judgment's coming, is I know I've embraced Jesus as my Savior, and I know in part that I've done that because I see him working in my life. He's not leaving me like I was. He's stirring me toward this greater love for others. We falter at it, but we say, oh, this this is new. So now in Christ, the atmosphere of our lives now is swimming in the love of God he has for us and he's transforming us, and we now want to relate to others in love. We are now full and satisfied souls in Christ, and so now we can look to bless other people all around us in the world. Think of it this way. You and I have received mercy. We're in a position now to give mercy to other people. You and I have been forgiven. We're in a position now to forgive other people who wrong us in our lives. We don't have to retaliate. We should never retaliate. We've been loved. And now we can turn around and love other people. And listen, you and I, we should initiate that love. Not wait for people to love us first. We even are to love our enemies, we initiate this. So, so here's, the, here's the invitation this morning that you would respond to the love of God. It's one thing to celebrate, oh, he is so loving and he's loved us, but oh, would you respond to his love and say, I now want to love you in return. Lord, you initiated, you did all this for me. Nobody's loved me like this. I want to, I want to respond to your love. Can I tell you this? When you respond to his love, you become a child of God. As many as received him, to them he, he gave the right to become children of God, John 1, 12. So when you believe in Jesus, you become a child of God. Listen, and then God loves you at a whole new level. Yes, he so loved the world, but when you become his adopted child, oh, now he loves you in a tremendous way. It was a number of years ago now when my daughters were younger. One of my daughters was riding the school bus home and, and I was waiting there on the corner of the street and these kind of things were rolling through my mind that day. And I was thinking, you know, I, I, lo- I love everybody. God's made this change, more. I really have a love for everybody. Again, not perfectly. And I started thinking on this bus, these children are going to roll up all these different children. And I, I can honestly say, I love them. I want good for all these kids. Then the bus comes to a stop. And then I see my girl come off the bus. And while it was true, I have a love. I have good feelings for all of the children but when my girl came off and I saw my girl's face, my heart leapt, that's mine. And and my love for my own daughter is on a whole new level. And listen, this is how God looks at us. He he loves the whole world, but you are one of his chosen ones. He came for you and he loves you. And you know the good news? Nothing will separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. It's a love that will last, a deep, deep love. And so listen, I I say it again this week, would would you just delve into this? If, you, if you're not in a reading plan already, why not first, John? A chapter a day, mark it up, delight yourself in the holiness of God, yes, in the great love of God and, and in these crazy times where not a lot of love's being expressed around you and I are agents of grace and reconciliation and love let's let's take the love of Jesus into the world. But today your first move, put your faith in Jesus. Well with that, Pastor Dustin, I'm going to ask you to come and wrap up our service in prayer and Again, as Dustin comes, be thinking about your decision. Turn from sin, trust in Jesus. Or if you haven't seen love in your life, you're not growing in love, I absolutely ask God to stir in you again by his spirit a greater capacity to love others. Pastor Dustin.